Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lands. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Okay, 1 Samuel 16. How in the world does a New Testament Christian enthrone Christ is Lord in your heart when he already lives in you? One way is by worship. Because God is enthroned upon the praises of Israel. He's never left his throne, nor will he ever leave it, but he becomes enthroned for the nation or the individual in life when you begin to sing his praises. You re-enthrone him as your king. Are you with me? You decide. I'm going to praise him because he's worthy of my praise. And when you do, you re-enthrone him, if you will, on your heart. And you are now strengthened to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. Do you agree? Amen. You see, this is, there's something that happens to us in worship. And Psalm 6, if you go there, I want to just show you in rapid fire. And I'm going to move quickly because... We're going to run short on time. But here's how the Psalms work. Psalm 6, look at the heading. Before you read verse 1, it says, For the choir director with stringed instruments upon an eight-stringed lyre. The lyre and the harp are very close. One was bigger than the other. They range from about three strings to ten strings, maybe even twelve. A Psalm of David, O Lord, do not rebuke me in thine anger, nor chasten me in thy wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord. I am pining away. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are dismayed. Sounds like a country song, doesn't it? <laughs> Psalm 12. Psalm 12, verse 1. Psalm 12, verse 1. Read the heading. For the choir director upon an eight-stringed lyre. Something like a guitar. A psalm of David. If you run into someone who says, Instruments are humbug. Bah, humbug, non-instrumental is the way to go. That's hooey. Israel worship with instruments. Guitars are from God. Of course, you want to play them for the glory of God. But you know what I'm saying. For the choir director upon an eight-string lyre, a psalm of David, help, Lord, <laughs> Don't you love how honest these songs are? For the godly man ceases to be. For the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. Go to Psalm 33. I'm going to move quick. Psalm 33, look at verse 1. Sing for joy in the Lord, O you righteous ones. Praise is becoming to the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with a lyre. Sing praises to him with a harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play Note it, skillfully with a shout of joy. There's no way that David's playing would have been therapeutic if he wasn't good. <laughs> Saul would have been more terrorized. And all God's people said, we appreciate a good musician, do we not? I mean, I'm all for the kid getting violin lessons, but I would prefer to be out of the house because the... <laughs> It's not pleasant. In fact, I think I'm being terrorized by a demonic spirit sometimes. <laughs> Psalm 43, verse 3. Oh, send out thy light and thy truth. 43, 3. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to thy holy hill. 
and to thy dwelling places. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, 43, 4. Upon the lyre I shall praise thee, O my God, O God, my God. Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Have you noticed you get into a praise service sometimes, you walk in like, oh, I'm going to cry. I don't even know if I can be a Christian anymore. <laughs> and then the hallelujahs start to go up, and all of a sudden my hands go from down here to, woo! I'm renewed. In corporate worship, when you guys were singing tonight, man, I go from joy to tears up and down. Then my my son's singing a song he wrote to God. Man, you could lift me up to heaven right there. Psalm 47, verse 5. God has ascended with a shout, the Lord with a sound of a trumpet. Trumpet players said, Amen. Sing praises to God, 47.6. Sing praises, sing praises to our King. Sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with a skillful psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. I could give you a ton of them. If you want my notes, I'll give them to you. But I just want to go to two more. Psalm 108. (laughs) Psalm 108. I wanted to say like five, but... Verse one. My heart is steadfast, O God. I will sing. I will sing praises even with my soul. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken awaken the dawn. This this is uh, evidence that a musician can play early. I will give thanks to thee, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to thee among the nations, for thy loving kindness is great above the heavens, and thy truth reaches to the skies. Wow. And then go to Psalm 150. Psalm 150. It says, praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty expanse. Don't you get the feeling that sometimes the psalmist is trying to convince himself to start singing or somebody else? Because he says it over and over again, praise him, praise him, praise him. Almost feels like you're, sometimes you got to be in one of those, uh, uh, do you guys love the gospel music? And they're, praise him, praise him, praise him. <laughs> yeah. Get excited, it's all right. People do more for their favorite football team. Psalm 150, verse 2. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with harp and lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with stringed instruments and pipe. Praise him with loud cymbals. And all the drummers said, amen. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Oh, I hope you can say amen. See, all of a sudden, Saul's got a big problem. And remember how I told you that there's got to be a reason. And who do they get to come and bring relief to Saul? David the sweet psalmist of Israel. 
who organized the temple singers, who wrote psalm after psalm after psalm, whose songs are recorded all over the Bible. And what do you think that God is trying to teach Saul? Just think about it. What do you think he's trying to teach Saul? That unless you trust me, unless you praise me, unless you learn to depend upon me, you'll be nothing. We are nothing without him. So look for, look for a guy. Command your servants and we'll go find somebody. Let our Lord now command your servants, 16, who are before you, let them seek a man who is a skillful player. That's important on the harp. It shall come about when the evil spirit from God is on you that he shall play the harp with his hand and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, provide for me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. God provided himself for a king. He's David. A little irony here. Now Saul's asking for the same guy that God chose to provide for himself a king, to provide uh, relief to him. So there's irony here. The man that would replace him is the man that will now serenade him. The man who would replace him as king and was better than him would be the man that would teach him what a man after God's own heart really is. In fact, God would put David right before Saul to show him what a true king looks like. Do you see what some of the reasons might be now? David wouldn't have ended up in Saul's court any other way unless worship relieved the problem that Saul had. And God was trying to show Saul something in the mirror, if you will. Look at him. He's the type of man that I'm looking for. And so David ends up there. And uh, I'll have you just note this. Write down uh, 1 Samuel 18.10 and 1 Samuel 19.9. In both those cases, when the evil spirit comes upon Saul, David's in the house, Saul becomes raving mad, and two times he takes a spear (laughs) and throws it at David. If you are a worship leader and you think you have it rough, you know worship leaders get beat up all the time. I'm not just saying this because he's my kid. But there's been articles that have come out in Christian magazines, the worship wars. And when I became a Christian, I was a drummer. In fact, my kids used to fall asleep on the couch to me playing drums in our living room. I think it's because they were trying to escape. I think they were hitting themselves in the head till they went unconscious. But it was funny because they'd all be sitting on the couch and they used to hit their heads against the couch cushions. And dad would go, <laughs> all of a sudden, they'd all be asleep to my drums. That's all I had to do. It was glorious. You didn't have to put him in the car. Just enough beats on the drum. They're done. All right, honey. Now we can do what we want to do. Put him to. <laughs> I have no idea what my point was there. What was it? Oh, so I went to this church. It was a first Christian church. I was a totally a rock and roll drummer. 
So I was in, you know, headphones on in this little room. So <laughs> we lived in this little duplex, and I always worried about the neighbors because I would be playing drums, and there, were, there was an older couple, and they lived right next door. And I always wondered when I was in there during the day, I wonder what they're thinking. They must hate me. I never wanted to talk to them when they saw them outside, right? So one day they were moving, and I said, oh, you're moving. Oh, you're the, the one next door. I said, oh, yeah. She goes, you're the drummer, aren't you? Oh, yes. She goes, you know, upon moving from this place, one thing I'm really going to miss is those drums. And I went, what? She goes, yeah, I'd be vacuuming, and you'd be... I mean, she said, we're from the big band era. We love those drums. And I thought, if only I had known... I would have played so much more. I would have had no false guilt. Probably should have talked to him. Anyway. So I joined, uh, I became part of this church in Orange, and they just had transitioned from hymns with hymn book, piano and organ only, to a full worship team. And people were not happy about it. And you know, there was all that stuff going on. And guess who I was? The drummer. And so you should have seen. Some people would walk into the church and they, they'd look at me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Terrorized. Anyway. Now notice this. This is verse 18. Then one of the young men answered and said, Behold, we're looking for a guy like this. They said, I've seen the son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite. He's a skillful musician. I want you to notice this description of David. A mighty man of valor, a warrior. He's prudent in speech. He's a handsome man. And the Lord, he's with him. Isn't that ironic? He's not with you, Saul, but he's certainly with this kid. He's a skillful musician. He's a worshiper, a warrior. He's wise. He's winsome in speech. He's handsome, which means he's a wow looker. Just stick with the W's. Worshiper, warrior, wise, winsome in speech, a wow looker. And the Lord is with him. There's six W's. Always look for those as a speaker. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. Isn't that a great description of a man? And doesn't it say you don't have to think yourself wimpy if you're a worshiper? You can be a worshiper and a warrior. Sometimes men, I think, come into the church and go, I don't know, worship. Lord, I give you, I don't know, it just seems, no, it's fine. It's actually a masculine thing to do. You can be a worshiper and a warrior. You can be velvet and steel. Listen to this. On February 12, 1959, the 150th anniversary of the birthday of Abraham Lincoln, the distinguished poet and historian Carl Sandburg was invited to Washington, D.C. to speak. Before a joint session of Congress and assembled diplomatic corps, uh, the astute, eloquent student of Lincoln held the attention of everyone as he portrayed a very great leader with very human characteristics, calling his speech appropriately 
man of steel and velvet. Sandberg helped everyone see that a respected leader can both be both capable and vulnerable. The mixture may be rare, but when it is there, it is truly effective. Not often in the story of mankind does a man arrive on earth who is both steel and velvet, who is hard as a rock and soft as a drifting fog, who holds in his heart and mind the paradox of terrible storm and peace unspeakable and perfect. While the war winds howled, he insisted that the Mississippi was one river meant to belong to one country. While the luck of war wavered and broken came again, as generals failed and campaigns were lost, he held enough forces together to raise new armies and supply them until generals were found who, ma- who made uh, was as victorious war as always been made with terror, frightfulness, and destruction. Valor and sacrifice passed words of man to tell. In the mixed shame and blame of the immense wrongs of two crashing civilizations, often with nothing to say, he said nothing. He slept not at all, and on occasions he was seen to weep in a way that made weeping appropriate, decent, and majestic. That was Lincoln. And that was David. He was a man of war, and yet he was a worshiper. Don't try to falsely assume that you can't be both. And so Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the flock. He seems to know David's name. He knows that David's gone back to take care of the flock. He was a shepherd when we first saw him. And Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread and a jug of wine. I want you to notice what he has. And a young goat and sent them to Saul by David his son. I think these may be provisions for David himself or they could be gifts for the king. But there's a donkey loaded with bread and wine. There's a young goat and they're sent to them, sent uh, them to Saul by David his son. And when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, he's called the son of David, and he's on a donkey, the foal of a colt, and he is, uh, he will that Friday or whatever day it is institute communion with bread and wine, and he is the scapegoat that takes away the sins of the world. And David came to Saul, and he attended him. He entered into his service, literally stood before his face as the Hebrew. And Saul loved him greatly. And he, David, became his armor bearer. He would bear his armor, always be close to his side. He may have been one of a number of weapon bearers for Saul, but this would keep David close to Saul. And it says that Saul loved him greatly. The question is, why did Saul love him? Because later Saul seems to hate him. And could it be that Saul only loved him because of what David could do for him? And David ministered to him, and David will even take down Goliath in the next chapter. And just a side note, there are some scholars that believe chapter 17 happens before 16. We'll get into that next week. But the bottom line is it says he loved him greatly, but did he just like him? Was he impressed with him? Because then he tries to kill him several times. And Saul sent to Jesse, and he said, 22, let David now stand before me, for he's found favor in my sight. 
So it came about whenever the evil spear from God came to Saul, David would take the harp and play it with his hand. And Saul would be refreshed and be well. And the evil spirit would depart from him. So it seems that whatever was happening to Saul, it would come in waves. And then whenever David would minister through music or worship, the evil spirit would depart and Saul would be well. And the greater David comes into our life and he comes with a song, a song of hope. He's the greater David from Bethlehem. He came anointed by the Holy Spirit. He went about doing good and he was delivering all those who were oppressed by the devil. It seems like he could just speak a word and evil spirits would leave people. There were people bent over and oppressed by demonic influence and Jesus would straighten them up again and deliver them from the clutches of Satan. And he made an open spectacle of principalities and powers triumphing over them by the cross. I'll leave you with Isaiah 11. Turn in there, go to your right, Isaiah 11. And interestingly enough, as Isaiah prophesies about him, pass up the Psalms and Proverbs, Isaiah 11, he will tell us the connection to David. He says in Isaiah 11.1, 1, the shoot will spring forth or spring from the stem of Jesse. Isaiah 11.1, 1, a branch from his roots will bear fruit and the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Isaiah 11.2, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And he will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make decisions by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Also, righteousness will be the belt of his loins and faithfulness the belt about his waist. And the wolf will dwell with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the kid and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together and a little boy will lead them. And this one coming from the stem of Jesse, the greater David, king of kings and lord of lords came to set us free. Father, thank you for your glorious word. Thank you for the truth of these passages. Thank you for the application that we can make, that we can be set free more and more as we become worshipers of God. As we learn to sing your praises, we can cast off the burdens of the world and know that you inhabit the praises of your people. Teach us to be worshipers. It's not just that you might get glory, although you are worthy of that. Worship helps us. It ministers to our soul. It refreshes us. And some people have found deliverance in the midst of worship. And I pray that as this last song goes up, you'll further deliver us by your mighty power. If you're not a Christian, Run to Jesus Christ and be saved. Repent of your sin and receive him as Lord and Savior. 
If you are a believer, lay down those things that so easily entangle disobedience, sin, whatever it might be, and become a worshiper. You'll be refreshed, strengthened, and you will enthrone the king once again on your heart, in your heart where he belongs enthroned. Thank you, Lord, for the precious people that have been here tonight. May you bless them and keep them and strengthen them in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to send us a note, we'd appreciate it. Just, hey, just just say, I, I listen in this area of the country. I'm on this station, and I appreciate your ministry. And if you can give us a year-end donation, folks, to help us come strong into 2017, I'll tell you, we have uh, radio stations that are asking for a living truth. We'd like to expand our reach, but we can only do that if you partner with us. So please consider a year-end gift to help us uh, be strong into 2017. You can do all of that at livingtruthradio.org. There'll be a picture of myself on that screen. Just click on Donate beneath my picture. Make sure you indicate for radio ministry. Just wanted to say a word that we deeply appreciate our listening audience and deeply appreciate those of you who are partnering in radio ministry with us. Uh, Remember that when you do give to a ministry like this, you are partnering and you're doing something to expand and extend both the teaching of the Word of God and the Gospel. I recently heard that about 40% of Christian radio listeners are unchurched. They may be non-Christians, but a lot of them are not connected to a home church. So, if that's you and you're anywhere near the Inland Empire and you'd like to join us for worship, you can do so uh, on Sunday mornings or Wednesday evenings. We have services uh, 9 and 1115 on Sunday mornings, and on Wednesday nights we meet at 7 p.m. Information and directions and everything else you'd need to know at livingtruthradio.org. On behalf of Oscar Santa Cruz, this is Pastor Michael Lance with help today from Cameron Thomas, uh, bidding you a good day. God bless you, and we'll catch you next time on Living Truth Radio. Maybe you've been hearing these messages about becoming a new creation in Christ, but you're not sure that you know him. Well, the Bible encourages us that now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. And so don't put it off because the Bible tells us we don't even know what a day will bring. So trust in him now. The Bible says that we need to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead and we will be saved. You know, we see this reality in the scriptures of repentance and faith, turning away from our sin, which is repentance. It literally means to do a 180 and turn away from sin and turn to God to do it his way instead of our way. And faith is a word in Greek, which means to put our trust in, to entrust ourselves to Christ. Now, when we do that, we're trusting in his person, his finished work on the cross and his resurrection and and trusting in him and him alone for our salvation. And that's how you become a Christian. You turn from sin and you turn to God through Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.